which you would have seen on the preaching plan, God's people who serve. And as I, as I said earlier, as I look around this church and I look at the uh, appointments list, uh, it's, just, it's just amazing to see just how much the people in this church do serve. And I'm a firm believer that if you really want to belong to a church, and, and you know, health uh, permitting, that the way, uh, the way to really feel that and sort of own that is, is be, becoming part of the church and serving in the church, doing something, take ownership. And I want to talk about that, a bit about that today. But as I prepared, I did think, you know, really, they know this because most of them uh, are doing it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the heart of uh, serving as well, so I'm going to use as the main text um, Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 18. Um, you would have been offered a Bible on the way in, but don't worry if you haven't got one. I'm going to read it out to you, and we'll explore uh, this together. So this is Paul's letter to uh, the Ephesian church, and he's talking about various things in this passage. And a bit we'll focus on uh, when he gets onto the ministry gifts. It's to equip the people of God for works of service. So Ephesians 4, uh, starting from verse 1, just to 18. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So, uh, I was trying to think of various illustrations, and so I thought I'm going to take on a little bit of a journey um, and hopefully you get it at the end why I'm doing that. It's not to be sort of overly self-congratulatory, but uh, talk about my life in the city a bit, which I often do because it's my main illustration. It's what I did um, uh, if I wasn't doing, when I wasn't doing this. But when I first started, I was 16 years old in 1984. And, um, and you know, when you start, it was my first proper job. I had a Saturday job at a supermarket. Um, and I thought, well, I don't want to do this all my life because uh, uh, I was buttering rolls and doing all sorts of things and not earning much money. But I thought, I'm going to go up to the city and try and get a job, which I did. And um, so I started at 16, and you want to make an impression. You want to do well. Um, and I wanted to impress. I uh, wanted to make a difference. And the jobs I was given, I was a very, very junior 
uh, person. I was in the interna- originally in the international dealing room. When they did international trades, they, it was, it's not like now. Nothing's immediate like now. You had to, they'd do the trade over the phone, but it wasn't confirmed until you'd sent a telex. And I, I was the one who had to send a telex. The trader would uh, make a trade, and I would send a telex saying, this is what we've done. Please confirm. And they'd send one back, and that was it. I've got written evidence that this trade was done. So I was there sending the telexes. Among my other uh, really important jobs, I had to clean the shoes of the traders in the dealing room. There's 12 of them. And I used to hate it when one would say, can you clean my shoes? And I'd say, yes. And then 11, I'd say, oh, how are you there? Do ours as well. But I did it, and I did the best I could. And then also, uh, if someone asked for a tea or coffee, you got to make it for all of them. But I'd write down what they all wanted so they didn't have to keep asking me, uh, telling me twice. Uh, do the lunch run. Everyone got £1.25. You either had 90p uh, luncheon vouchers. No one took them because uh, you got £1.25 at Gigi's, which was the calf, uh, five doors along. And they used to send me out to Gigi's and I'd have the list of all the £1.25 signatures. Uh, it was excellent when people were on holiday because I had extra lunch. Uh, but I got found out soon after, uh, so that wasn't good. And I don't suggest you still at all. <laughs> But what I decided very early on is that I would do the best I could at all of those tasks. Um, They were lowly tasks, uh, but it didn't worry me too much. I was just happy to have a role in this this industry. And it wasn't because of the, you better do this or else. It's because I was seeking to please. I wanted them to notice me. I respected these people, and I wanted to give my best, and I wanted to serve. So we'll leave that there for now. So this morning, we're looking at the people of God who serve. We're, we're servants. Um, we serve Christ because he first served us. Paul, at the beginning of the passage I read, introduces everything he's about to write with these words. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So right there in verse 1. And then he writes a bit about character, a bit about baptism, uh, a bit about when Christ ascended. And then verse 8, gave gifts to people. And then he moves on to service. And he talks about the ministry gifts, first of all, in verse 11. And he mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. But it was for a purpose. He didn't just uh, appoint these people and say, go and have a happy time. Uh, The purpose, verse 12, was to prepare prepare God's people for works of service. Uh, There was a purpose for those ministry gifts. It was to prepare God's people for works of service. You know, the truth is, you've been called to Christ. And that is an amazing privilege. I've been called to Christ. He's drawn me and you to himself, which is incredible. And only his love and his sacrifice on the cross can enable that. He searched for you. He has a passion for you. He found you. I always chuckle, and I know what they mean. I'm not taking uh, uh, the mickey, but when people say, I found God, I say, was he lost? <laughs> because he's not lost. We are. So he finds us, and he draws us to himself. And even if you're sitting here this morning questioning your faith, thinking, did he really call me? Did he? Just that you're here. He has. It's not, it's not your effort. He has drawn you to himself. He has drawn you to himself. So he searched for you, he found you, and he saved you if you want him to. And he calls also the people of God together. He doesn't just sort of search for you and find you and save you and says, right, you're on your own. You know, that's it. That's the work finished. I mean, it is for your salvation. You can, your sin is paid for and he's paid for it. But it's not the end, if you like, of the journey. He calls the people of God together. It's known as the church church as we know is not the building or denominations or anything like that it's the people of God it's you he calls us together the word uses ecclesia where we get our word ecclesiology from it's those who have been set apart or called out 
And he calls all of us to serve. We all have our part to play in the church. Someone I was speaking to recently grasped this and taught me a bit of a lesson. Um, They took on a role, quite a demanding role. Um, And um, I was going, we were talking about it and they came for a meeting and had all these fresh ideas. And I said, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful. I really appreciate what you're doing. They said, well, you know, it's really good of you to say it and, and thank you for saying it. And I do want to help you, but I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for God. I want to please God. I'm not doing it, I'm glad it helps you, but that is not my motive. I'm doing it for God. I want to serve him. I'm glad to serve him. And that's a humbling thing to receive. And I thought, but that's the heart. That is the heart of serving, isn't it? Recognising who we're serving, whatever role we've got in the church. Whether it's a ministry role, a serving role, a hospitality role, a giving role, whatever it is, we're doing it for God. And as much as I appreciate it, it's not for me. It helps me a lot. Um, but it's for God. It's for God. It's a heart thing. And why is this so important? And verse 12 gives us the answer. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Not puffed up, not elevated, uh, but built up. Something that's built is strong. And the church should be strong. And if we keep rooted in Christ, the church will always uh, be strong. It's great to have the ministry gifts. It's great to have all these apostles and pastors and teachers and evangelists and all the other sorts of things. Great to embrace them. Great to set them apart. But on their own, they won't actually achieve that much. You know, their purpose in life is to equip and help other people flourish uh, in their lives, being a witness for Christ in whatever way that is. I remember uh, when I was at Spurgeon's and uh, we had a, a module on leadership, really interesting. And uh, we were asked to come up with all sorts of, you know, what's, what's the one-liner uh, that, that shows a good leader and it's all the normal ones. Well, if there's no one behind you, no one's following, you're not a leader. Some people are really like, you know, you should crack the whip and get them going. I thought, well, I'm not going to give that a go here. Um, uh, but, uh, but as ever, the lecturer said, you know, I think a leader is, the best leader is someone who creates the environment for other people to flourish. And I loved it. I thought, that is it. You know, so we have these ministry gifts so other people can flourish in what they're doing to help them, to equip them. And, and give them that heartfelt desire to serve God in his church. It is great to have the ministry gifts, but it's to create an environment for other people to flourish. And my desire, and I look around, I see so many people flourishing in what they do. They get a passion, um, and I see growth, and I, and I see enthusiasm. And it's not, it's not really a sense of, oh, I better do this. It's, it's almost like I can't wait to do it. You know, I see the groups that go on in this church and I wander down and I say hello and I think they're just giving up their time and they're doing this. They have a passion, they're released and I'll say, what, do you, I want, what I want to say is, what do you need? What do you need? I know Alan is passionate about mission and evangelism. Uh, Alan's our treasurer. And, and he'll be, he, he's the person to say, what do they need? You know, we want them to be doing mission, we want them to do ministry. What, how can we release them? So finance and prayer and actually sometimes just saying, I think that's a great idea, go with it. You know, not everything has to be done uh, by all the ministry people. Uh, you're probably better gifted. God's given you the passion. We want to release them, create an environment for others to flourish. Uh, but when, when it's not left to a certain few, when uh, God's people serve, then you see such an impact. 
I mean, an amazing impact. You see the ministries that go on, and I see them, and I'm just flabbergasted. And the impact has on people's lives, the connections that are made, the relationships that are made, the families we're in touch with. Tom Tom shared on Wednesday, I can't remember how many families he said now, uh, but just down at Sunnymead, was it 12 or 15 or 12? 20, see? Should have asked for a measurably more than I could have asked for and imagined. It was tw- so 20 families who go to that group down at Sunnyman who don't go to church, you know, and people giving up their time. I come into our groups here on a Tuesday and I see the team out the back and the team in here giving up their time. All these connections, it's amazing. And they've got real servant hearts and we want to say to them, how can we make this better for you? Because I can't come in every, every day and I'll be useless at it, you know, and, but they're doing a great job. And so we want them to flourish. When I look at the appointments list, it's fantastic. Um, people uh, serving, whether it's up front or in the background, they're all serving. And it's a wonderful picture of God's people coming together and making a difference. In church, there are a lot of small things that have to come together all the time. So that as verse 12 where Paul says, the body of Christ may be built up. It doesn't just happen. Uh, uh, you know, whatever area you're serving, and you'll know that there's effort uh, that be, that's made, but you might not know what's going on elsewhere. And there's all loads of pockets of effort, and it's so good to see people do it. It just doesn't happen. Whether it's a preparation of a service, uh, whether it's preparing an order of service by one of our worship leaders, whether it's preparing sermons, whether it's being the refreshments, whether it's the welcome team, the networkers, whether it's the administration, whether it's the flowers, the VDS, the sound, the lights, the youth and children's work, the crash, the buying of kitchen supplies. Who, half of you won't know who does most of that stuff. Half uh, the time I walk around, and I realise something's not being done. When it stops, I say, who does that? And they say, oh, so-and-so. I say, oh, they never knew. But it's wonderful because it keeps everything going as we serve. And then it moves on to looking after one another. We all do that. We're all called to do that. Pastoral care, prayer mornings and evenings. Our small groups, the DG groups, mission partners, upkeep of the buildings, setting up chairs, putting away chairs, going out in the community, being the people of God. These are all things where we're serving Christ and his church, the body, the people. Great environments for uh, other people to flourish and serving it's a hard thing. Putting away the chairs. I'm, I always look around on a Sunday. You see people just do it, you know, and it's just lovely. And, and I like to get a bit dirty on it as well. I think it's wonderful doing that together, building relationship. Who are we doing it for? I've already answered it. Verse 15, it says, under the headship, that is Christ. I mean, honestly... If Jesus physically walked into this building, he's here, but if he walked into this building physically and asked you to do anything, you would jump at it. Yet sometimes I see people doing things which effectively he's asked them to do, maybe with not quite the right heart. It says in verse 16, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I love riding my motorbike. Um, this rain is really getting to me because I've come back off holiday. I'm not looking for any sympathy. I've been on holiday. I've come back, I want to ride my motorbike. And it's rained every day. And every time I look, oh, it's sunny. And the time you change, it's raining. And I've come in today and it's still raining. <laughs> and I really want to ride it. But I, I love, sometimes, Andrew, I don't think Andrew knows this. I go in my garage for any kind of it and I just look at it. <laughs> because I really love it. <laughs> 
I don't stroke it or anything like that. But it's a wonderful piece of machinery. It's really good. Um, now, I know the engine works, and I know when I first got my first car, my little Ford Fiesta 1.1 Popular Plus, great car, AVX 902X. I can still remember the registration. But in those days, you know, that was when I passed, 85 I passed my test. Not age, year. Um, and, but you could fix things. You know, if the engine went wrong, you know, you got the head gasket off and you could replace the thermostat. I used to change my own oil. I mean, that fills me with dread now. Look, I get, look at the engine. And the only bits you're allowed to touch, you know, they're in yellow, right? Which basically means washer fluid, oil, coolant, and whatever else. But you can't really do any big mechanics. So I look at my motorbike, I think, this, this is brilliant. This, is, this, this thing's got power. Um, and all I know is that when I squeeze the throttle, it goes forward. <laughs> but underneath it all, there's loads of stuff happening. There's a whole mechanism, the mechanics. Uh, it needs oiling to run smooth. Every part has its part to play. And you know, the people of God are the oil that, run, uh, that let the church run smoothly. All the things that go on. Otherwise, it just starts to clog up. It won't work. It'll still be called a church, but it's not really functioning. It'll still be called a motorbike. There's no petrol oil in it. It's not going to go anywhere, and it won't uh, achieve the purpose for which it's meant to be. And so as we serve, and as we serve Christ, we remember that he gave us the supreme example, the suffering servant, and we're going to be seeing soon. This is our God, the servant king. He was a servant. He washed the disciples' feet. He showed them uh, to humble themselves. Uh, nothing is too small. Back to the city, a little bit of autobiography again. Uh, so they noticed how well I was doing with the T's, um, which wasn't hard. They thought I had a good memory. What they didn't know is I wrote, every, I have to write everything down, otherwise I'm a nightmare. Uh, but they, when, they said, when they said, oh, do you know how many shoes I have my coffee? So I've got it. I know what it is, so it's quite impressive. And I could shine the shoes properly. But I never complained. And I'd send the telexes off. I'd get the lunches. If there's a problem, I'd say, give it to me. And I wouldn't go back to them until I got it sorted out with the answer. And I'd, I'd, go, I'd go everywhere to get it right. I didn't go back to them until I could say, it's done. You don't have to worry about it. I've sorted it out. And then so what they did after a while, they gave me a chance. They saw what I did there. And they gave me a role on the small order desk. And um, by then, I'm working for a company that was taken over by NatWest. And I got on this desk. that All the NatWest uh, uh, in all of England, all their local branch orders would be passed through to me. I would get them. Um, so everything in the country came through me. So most of them are really, really small trades. Uh, others uh, had done this job in the past, but they were really bored. They said, the orders aren't big enough, I don't want to work on the desk. They wanted to do the big multi-million dollar orders, and these were tiny in comparison, probably worth a couple of thousand pounds, if that, uh, each, which I know that sounds, it's just, it's irrelevant. You can't earn any, any, any money off them. But for me, I remember thinking, I'm going to get up. First of all, I'm not making teas anymore, so that was an uptick. And so I'll get on this desk, and I was learning how to check prices, because uh, it wasn't so electronic. Some orders were even international orders. They weren't all UK orders. So even though they were tiny orders, I learned uh, how each European stock exchange uh, worked. So I traded on the Tokyo and Australian stock exchanges and knew how they worked and how long it would take to settle a bargain. Most of these trades in what we call a local currency. So if you trade in Australian shares, you trade in Australian dollars. Um, this was all before the euro, so multiple currencies. And the clients, most of them were English, wanted to pay or receive sterling. So I learned how to do currency trades as well. And I was doing it with all the small stuff, which when I look back was good, because if I had made an error, it wasn't a big deal. Uh, my thing was, I really want to do this well. 
I know I'm on this small order desk, but if I can do this well, they might give me another chance elsewhere. Don't make mistakes. Be diligent. They're small trades, but they mean a lot to someone. I used to think, imagine if it was my mum or dad who was the end investor. For this trade that I think is of no importance, every little bit of the price helps them. Uh, And that's what I did, and I wanted to do the best I could. So, back to the Bible. The key to being God's people who serve. Ephesians 6 verse 7 says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Verse 8, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. It's a heart thing. You know, whatever we're doing, I'm grateful, the elders are grateful, the trustees are grateful, other members are grateful, the congregation is grateful. But doesn't it empower you to think, actually, I'm doing this for God? Whether it's worship leading, playing, serving, showing the VDS, doing the sat, whatever it is, all makes the church operate, whether it's going out into the world. Uh, prison ministry, uh, pastoral visiting, whatever it is, I'm doing this for God. It brings a whole new scheme of things. If I'm on the door, if I'm doing the racks, whatever it is, I'm doing it for God. It's so much so, it, therefore, serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men. It's a heart thing. It's Jesus who asks us to serve. So whatever you do, we need to have the right heart. It's for him. Uh, I may get myself in trouble here, but I would say to you, if you're serving and you're doing something within church life, and you resent it, it's the wrong heart. And either recognise who you're doing it for, and ask him to give you a new heart for the work, but if you really resent it, I'd rather you step down. Because it it can end up being quite a bad witness. I'd rather stop ministries than go forward with them with the wrong heart. Because actually they can do more damage than good. But otherwise, serve with passion, with intention, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Back to the city. So I was on the small order desk. Now they've promoted me onto the main desk. I haven't made any serious errors. Um, I'm on this desk called Sal's Trading. It sounds quite dramatic. But I was basically had to trade with uh, big clients, or reasonably big clients, and the market makers, the jobbers. So big trades. I was getting known, and my reputation grew, and I got asked eventually to cover some of the biggest clients in the world, which are American. The American have the biggest funds in the world. And I moved uh, to New York to do that because Americans don't trust the Brits, and you have to actually meet them face-to-face. This is back in the day. I went there in, in 1991. Um, so I moved to New York, and they didn't, trust, uh, they didn't trust me at all. They wanted to give their orders to Americans, not, not the British. So I made it my mission to be faultless uh, and try and be as good as I could at what I did. Some of them, most of them, gave me really small orders. So my traders in London were really unhappy because I'm giving them five shares of this and six shares of that. And I was insisting on really good executions where normally you just, you just do them, you find them in the system. So five shares of Glaxo and whatever. And the clients would make me account for the price. And I took it. And it was a lot of flack day in, day out because I knew that I had to prove to them I could do the small things well. In 1993, the first bomb exploded in the Twin Towers. I, was, I worked a block away from that, and there was a, a client in there called Oppenheimer, and their dealing room was de- demolished. And they, their trader needed a desk. This is a client that gave business to all, all the brokers and everything else. And to see their orders, I could have made a lot of money for my firm out of. If, they're, if, they're, if they've got a big order, I could, what we call, run ahead of it. If they're going to buy a substantial stake in the company, I could give a nod to one of my mates, and they could go and buy some shares, and they're going to go up because there's going to be a big demand. So they had to trust me. Then this lady sat next to me, and uh, she sat next to me for uh, three months. But not once did I tell my traders 
or anybody else what they were doing. And eventually, after three months, they could go back into uh, their tower. And a trader there told all her client friends that I'd worked hard and sat next to her and never once breathed a word and did the best I could, even on the small stuff. And when she moved back, she gave me this order. She said, Ian, I can't remember the Danish company. It was a Danish company. She said, go and buy 175 shares of this, work it over eight weeks. I thought, are you joking? Three months you've sat next to me and 175 shares. And I've never traded this stock before. And then I looked it up. Uh, we used this system called Reuters then. And I realised how many, it was, there was a huge share price. And actually it was an $8 million order, of which I can charge 0.3%, which meant $24,000 commission for my firm. And so she paid me back, and she tr- she'd seen how I was trusted with the small things. And then she told all her clients, and so then began my reputation. So I got back, in the end, I came back to London. Um, I ran the desk, and the American clients asked to be covered from London, which had never happened before, because someone, they trusted me with the small stuff first, and then uh, it proved the point. And the point I'm trying to make is it started with the small things, tea making, cleaning shoes, doing the lunch run, being trusted, serving, willing... Wanting to please, could have walked away, could have said, that's below me, I'm not going to do it. I could have shirked, but it really meant something to me. And before you think I was the best thing since sliced breast, I didn't always get it right. I got loads wrong. Uh, I'll share one with you because it's quite fun. I'm surprised I even survived this. A member dealer, who was a senior dealer, uh, uh, asked me to uh, get a checkbook for him. In those days, the checkbooks took a long time to come through, and he was at Lloyds Bank Stock Exchange. And I could hear him rowing on the phone. They said, we've got a temporary checkbook for you. And he said, right, Smithy, you've got to go and get my temporary checkbook in your lunch hour. I said, OK. And remember I said about GGs. Well, I, I didn't have much money. And so my £1.25 at GGs had to stretch the whole day. And I bought this cheese and onion sandwich. And I made the mistake at 11 o'clock just before he went to lunch uh, to eat this cheese and onion sandwich, raw onion. You know, so it's in a small dealing room. And he, always, he said, what's that smell? Oh, no. And um, it's going to and stuff. Um, and he got my sandwich and, and he took it, screwed it up and put it in the bin. And I remember thinking, oh, I, don't, well, I won't eat then today because I had no money. I, didn't even, I couldn't even afford a suit in my first few years there. And I was fuming. You know, I was brought up pretty tough and I thought, he's not going to get away with that. And I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I was so angry. And he went to his lunch and said, don't forget my checkbook. And I thought, no, I won't. And so I went and got this checkbook and I brought it back and um, I put it with my cheese and onion sandwich in the bin. And I mushed it all up as well. And for about 10 minutes, I felt really good. And I thought, yeah, he's on this lunch. He's going to drink a lot. He's going to come back about 3 o'clock. He's going to kill me. Um, and sure enough, he came back. He said, you get my checkbook. And I ran into the little settlements department out of the room. And, you know, really annoying, actually. A mate of mine came back in and said, oh, guess what he's done? He's put it in the bin with his cheese and onion sandwich. He said he wouldn't dare. And he went in the bin. It was there. And I'm telling you the truth, he came in this uh, little room, and I was only tiny, my nickname was Smurf, and um, he got a broom handle, had me on the neck, and he was holding me up, banging my head against all the jobbing books. And, uh, yeah, I'm surprised I survived. So it wasn't always perfect, and I did get things wrong. But I said to him the next day, I'm so, so sorry, what can I do to make this up? And isn't God like that? He doesn't bash our head against the wall, but sometimes we have to go to him and say sorry. And he restores us, and he... He, he sends us on our way. And actually, this guy sponsored me, effect- effectively, and, uh, for me to become a trader. Um, but I've got to say, in all that serving, it was all about the heart. I wanted to do it. I wasn't being berated to do it. I wanted to do it. And Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. As you serve in this place and elsewhere, uh, Jesus in the world outside, have the heart of the Christian who says, I'm here to serve Christ. 
in whichever way I can. Uh, we had, a, we had uh, someone speaking yesterday at the EBA gathering, and um, I can't quite remember how it went, but it was, it was, they were a runner, and he, the speaker used this runner's uh, terminology, and it was about a 10,000-metre runner who turned up and ran, ran a while and then realised she was in a marathon. I thought, oh, no. And so she ran a 10,000 metres and asked the policeman, look, can I, can I go back? He said, well, you can't go back, no, because you're going you're gonna to bump into everyone and we can't take you back. And so she pondered what to do and she said, well, I might as well just run the marathon, right? As all of us would, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so she, so she turned up for the 10,000 metres and he said this is a true story and, um, and uh, found herself in the wrong race, not one that she was expecting to be in, but ran it anyway. And the point being, she said, it wasn't the race I signed up for, but it was the race I was in, so I was going to do my best. And I think sometimes we're in positions, maybe we think it's not ideal and everything else, but we are called to do our best because you're not, we're not doing it for a race, we're not doing it for equity dealers, we're doing it for God. And, and he, I won't say he demands our best, I think he deserves our best. And he's forgiving and he's loving and he's gracious. But whether I'm stacking chairs, preparing sermons or worship or sorting out problems or going into a school assembly, whatever it is, I think, well, I'm going, I am, I am an ambassador for Christ. I'm doing this for him. So I'm going to do it the best way I can. So when tonight you see me knock over chairs or something or drop six of them, you know I'm, I'm doing my best, but I do get it wrong. And yesterday was a great example. So we had, the, as I said, the Eastern Baptist Association gathering. They used to be called the AGM, but gathering sounds so much better. And the AGM part was only half an hour, but really, really, you know, catering a team. It was just such great worship. It was a great witness. Um, there were good speakers there. Uh, the hospitality that was given. It was just the whole thing. I said at the end, and I think it's godly, I said, I'm just so proud of my church. And I am. Because when I see all the people and what they do, I think it's amazing. And for me personally, you know, as a church, we're as a church, first time we've ever hosted it. We're hosting. So I've got a lot of my peers. There's a lot of other Baptist ministers. It meant a lot to me, but also for the church as well. Baptist ministers and church members from across the region. And Cheryl talked about Callum's faith earlier, and I was really pleased to hear that story. Because we've been saying um, that we feel God is asking us to increase our faith. And it's a great example because when we had the planning meeting, uh, the regional minister was there. There's myself, Bernard, Charlotte, a few other people. And I said, well, how many people do you normally get? And I said, well, you know, between 100 and 120. I said, OK, and hardly any kids, you know. And we just said, well, look. I said, don't do the things. And I think the opening worship originally was about 20 minutes. I said, well, what? You know, people want to worship God. Give, a, give it an hour. And I think it was whatever. It was 55 minutes in the end. And, and share and bring stories and encourage people. If you keep doing the same thing, get the same results. And to be fair, it had been growing. There's a new regional minister and she's been really pushing it. So that's really good. But I said, let's pray for 250. You know, and um, there's a bit of sniggering around. But I have to say, I thought in my head, if we get 150, that'd be good. It was better than last year and it'd be nice. And there was a few smiles. And before I went on holiday, which was only about three and a half weeks ago, uh, Bernard and I were talking. He said, well, you know, only 47 have signed up. I said, oh, right, OK. Um, shall we decrease the hog roast? I mean, you never say that to a Baptist minister. You know, just keep it 150. It will go. Um, I said, no, no, leave it. Let's see what it's like when I came back. And on my return, uh, first thing I said was, how many for the gathering? This is just this Monday. He said, 237. I said, Wow. So we prayed for 250. I was expecting 150. That's really good. On Wednesday during the day, I rang up Hayley, who's the, who's the administrator for the EPR. I said, How many? She said, 247. I said, Wow, that's good, but we prayed for 250. And then by the time I got to the church meeting, we got the email and I saw it on Facebook. They'd closed the books, they'd reached 250. 
Uh, and in fact, some people, more, and there was a lot of people wanted to sign up after that. God honoured our prayer, and he can do immeasurably more than we ask for or imagine. But what was really good about yesterday, there's all the people from our church who came. I don't think anybody came who wasn't doing something. Uh, they all served. They all, all got stuck in, uh, from the welcome team to the hospitality to the worship team, to the sound, the visuals, just being around, being the people of God. I've gone on Facebook this morning and some people have posted on our Facebook page saying what an incredible welcome and time uh, the people at Billericay Baptist Church gave us. And I just, I have got pride, a godly pride in that and I'm really pleased. You know, we could have had the prayer answered um, and God having those people ready, but without those people willing to serve... We could have had all the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. That would have been great. They'd have a lot of upfront stuff. But everyone else wouldn't have got fed and watered and welcomed and uh, led in worship and everything else. You know, it's brilliant to see all those people serve in those various ways. If, if it was just the prayer and no one bothered to serve, then there's no oil in the engine. And the whole thing just clogs up and it wouldn't have worked. And I remember when I was first called into ministry... And, you know, it's a, a classic response. It's the call of Isaiah from Isaiah 6. And I felt God calling. In the end, I had to say, okay, here I am then. Okay, here I am. Send me. And it's wonderful that when we offer ourselves to God, and sometimes when we don't, he is for us. God is for us. And he loves us. And he loves it when we serve him out of the right heart, not out any kind of sense of duty. Bernard passed to me, uh, Jeff Lucas, who's coming in November, writes a little devotional. Uh, Bernard gave this to me. You can see I've looked after it. It went in my pocket. It's all folded up. So I've got to try and read it, John. I haven't got my glasses. But I thought this, this is a nice way to end the sermon because it shows um, a bit about God's heart to us as well. Um, so Isaiah 6, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And of course Isaiah answers, Here I am. Send me. Send me. You know, there's the someone else. You know, someone, someone else will do that. I've never met Mr. Someone else. You know, what about me? What can I do? How can I make a difference? And he writes this. He said, it must have been quite a surprise for Isaiah. We've already seen that it was smitten by the awesome vision of the holy God and felt that he was teetering on the edge of destruction. Yet he is assured of forgiveness and commissioned as a messenger of the Lord. He just wanted to stay alive. But as God speaks, Isaiah discovers that God views him not just as a forgiven penitent, but as a divine herald. Might we be surprised if we really knew how much God loves us? cares for us, believes in us, and how great his hopes for us are. Instinctively, I often assume that God has a low view of me. After all, he knows everything about me. He sees beneath the veneer and is fully aware of my sins, mixed motives and susceptibility to temptation. Surely that perfect knowledge of my imperfection would cause him to think far less of me than I do of myself. But that was not Isaiah's experience. God saw past his fragilities and glimpsed the potential he had as a human being, as a true kingdom history maker and as the workmanship of God. Some of us have a tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. The Bible warns about that. But there are many others who live with the reverse of that problem and view ourselves in an unhelpfully negative way. Perhaps we should ask God for a sense of what he sees in us rather than endlessly focusing on what we see of ourselves. Then we might just be a little more open to other surprises that he has in store. Now, God loves you with a passion. He, he sought you, he looked for you, he found you, he saved you, and he set you apart for works of service, both within the church and out in the world as well.
This is the God we serve. And at first he was, and we're going to sing this, the servant king. And he calls us as a response to follow him, and it says to give our lives as an offering. He led by example in Gethsemane, in the Garden of Tears, where he made the decision to say, not my will, but yours be done. So let's continue to be a people of God who serve, recognising it's Christ we're serving after all. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that you constantly surprise us in the answers to your prayers, our prayers. Lord, continue to increase our faith. Great to hear what's happened with Callum. Great to hear what happened with another young person who was baptised and their, their things this week. It would be great to hear tonight some of the testimony. Great to see where our young people are scattered across the country. Great to see people of this fellowship serving yesterday and fantastic to see pretty much everyone uh, coming together, uh, serving you in your church. Pray, Lord, you give us the right heart that we do the best we can because it's for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to worship uh, some more as we close. I think we've got time to sing all three but the first one uh, from heaven you came helpless babe and it talks about uh, the servant king and in this time uh, it's a time for you to respond to the word what you've heard whether you're in your seat whether you're on our prayer or you maybe need to say sorry for sometimes an attitude or maybe it's no give me the right heart or give me a heart for a certain piece of work maybe you need some prayer yourself and if you do there'll be people over there to pray for you or ask someone you know or one of the leaders to pray for you as well but use this time for ministry if you would like it don't leave unchanged and remember it is christ we're serving Amen? Amen.